Welcome to the Sales Street Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salesstreet.org. Amen. Praise the Lord. Am I on yet? There we go. Praise the Lord. He is worthy. Good morning and welcome to Sales Street. Uh, my name is Lucas and I have the privilege of uh, opening the Word of God with you this morning. There's a Bible's in front of you. If you need to turn to the book of Jonah with us, we'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Uh, if you pick up one of those Bibles, page number 775 or 74, we'll get you there. Here at Sell Street, we believe in preaching through books of the Bible. That is one way we can be sure to receive uh, the whole counsel of God. We want to know what the Word of God says in its entirety, so we don't just pick bits and pieces. We start in the beginning and and go through the end of the books. And the book that we're going through now is the book of Jonah. You can see on the screen the title is Obedience Brings Blessings. Now, if you've been here those past couple of weeks that we've preached through Jonah, uh, it probably sounds more like disobedience brings disaster. But hold on, it's coming, right? We're going to see where obedience does bring uh, blessings. I do want to give just a short recap of what we've seen so far in those first 10 verses of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a prophet, a Hebrew prophet, and by all accounts, a good one. Man, he loved his people. He honored the Lord, well-respected, and uh, did what he was supposed to among the Hebrew people. And then the Lord called him to go and to preach to the people in Nineveh. If you want to try to figure out what that might be like, just imagine if you were maybe a pastor today in America and the Lord called you to go and be a missionary in Iraq, in a place that's been known for sending terrorists to your nation to, to kill them, and people that don't look like you, they don't believe like you, matter of fact, they are your enemy in most cases a people who are looked down upon by most people in your nation. And now God has called and, and called you to go and to preach repentance to those very people. That's kind of what happened to Jonah. So if Nineveh is this way, Jonah's called him to, to go there and preach. What Jonah decides to do is to find the first boat going this way. And that was the boat going to Tarshish, and he did. He got on that boat, and he, he set sail with a group of folks, and all of a sudden, this great storm came up. And so the sailors, which if you've ever been around folks who spend a lot of time offshore and boats and stuff, they're, they know more about the weather than most weathermen. I mean, they're, they're pretty knowledgeable about the weather. And, you know, I can just imagine what was going through their minds when this storm kind of came out of nowhere when this guy got on the boat. And it wasn't a little storm. It says it was a tempestuous storm. And the storm's getting worse and worse. And so they cast lots to figure out who on that boat was causing all this extreme weather. And the lot fell on Jonah. 
And so Jonah admits to them. Verse 10, he said, uh, the men were exceedingly afraid, said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah confesses to the folks on the, on the boat and says, I'm running from God. That's why the lot fell on me. That's where all this storm is coming from. And so this morning's message, we pick up in verse 11, and the sailors are asking this question. It's the title of today's message. What shall we do? Now that we have this rebellious prophet on the boat causing all of this problem, what do we do about it? Let's read 11 through 17. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Pray that Holy Spirit would reveal truth to our hearts and transform us to be more like Jesus than we've ever been. Father, glorify yourself through the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, sometimes I think when we study through the book of Jonah, we almost approach it like he's some lost and undone guy who's, you know, the Lord is saving. That's not the case. He was a godly man who disobeyed what God called him to do. And the reason I want to share that is I don't want us to excuse ourselves from being where Jonah is. Because the truth in the message of Jonah is very applicable in every one of our lives because we can be a whole lot like Jonah. So let's be mindful of that as we work through this passage. The first thing that we see is clearly that sin not only affects the person who is sinning, but those who are close by. Sin not only affects the person who is sinning, but those who are close by. The consequences of sin are not just for the person in rebellion. It's clear. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Jonah's action or inaction brought great consequences to all of these folks who had set sail. Matter of fact, it was getting worse and worse. The sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
Now you could imagine you're rowing as hard as you can. The storm's getting worse. You know now whose fault it is. You're trying to figure out what to do. And in verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So this is really the first kind of sign of repentance that we see in Jonah's heart. This is where we start moving towards that obedience that brings blessings. But there's a truth here that we, that we have that is huge for us to recognize. And that is that, first of all, sin has consequences. And we, we oftentimes talk about that in terms of like Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, right? The free gift of life is eternal. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. But there are consequences of sin in, in our lives today. Not just that sin deserves hell, but that sin has consequences within our home, within our church, within our city, within our nation. And those consequences aren't just for the person who has committed the sin or rebelled against God, but for all of those who are nearby oftentimes. And we find ourselves asking a very similar, similar questions. What shall we do? How do we handle this rebellious person who is creating all this havoc? And we'll get to it a little later, but I think the most common response is we don't. <laughs> So, sin not only affects us, but others who are close by. But the second thing we see in these first couple of verses is that this repentance and this move to, to deal with sin is to confess it. That's what Jonah does, right? He said, this is my fault. I've brought all this on myself and now on you. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what we do about sin. Is we, we move to confession, right? Especially if it's our own sin and rebellion. Jonah took responsibility for his actions. Let me tell you what, if there's one thing that we can do better today, I think we can take responsibility for our actions. Our pride is at such a height that we'll almost do anything but take responsibility for actions when it comes to sin. We live in a culture that, it, I mean, I'm, I think we're, we create a new excuse for sin every single day. I mean, it is unbelievable. And Jonah 
think about all the good he had done as, as a Hebrew prophet, right? And now he has this one act of rebellion that's bringing about all of this. And he takes ownership of his actions. He didn't make excuses for himself. He, he didn't tell him about all the disorders that he had about how, you know, the way his brain was wired was to disobey God and how, you know, maybe he had grown up in a household where people rebelled against God and so they just had to be more understanding of his sin. It's not what he said. He says, my fault. And man, that is a huge step in the right direction of repentance and obedience. Another thing I think it's worth noting is that Jonah's sin was more of a sin of omission than, than commission. And what I mean by that is Jonah, he didn't kill anybody, he didn't steal from anybody, he didn't commit adultery. Jonah's sin was that he didn't do what the Lord called him to do. And sometimes I think we're more likely to overlook that than we are those sins of commission that are kind of black and white and maybe even against the law. And, you know, Jonah didn't get arrested for DWI. He just, the Lord told him to go that way and he went that way. And the reason I bring that out is because the consequences were still great for Jonah's action or inaction, his rebellion. And so I think for us to really metabolize that in our own lives is we have to say, what has God called us to do that we may be failing to do? And I would say every one of us would probably be tempted in a little different way to disobey what the Lord has called us to do. But I think the scriptures are filled with callings that God has put on our lives. He's called us to preach the gospel to all nations. He's called us to give to the poor, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow, to pray without season, ceasing, to love on one another, to give graciously, to worship constantly. Many, many other things the Lord has called us to do and failure to do that is rebellion. And that kind of rebellion has grave consequences, not just for us personally, but for those around us. And the first step to making that right is saying, It's me. I've not done what the Lord's called me to do. Obedience brings blessings, and this is where it begins. And so, really, my, my prayer for us as a church is that, is that we would really examine our hearts in what God has called us to do. Our, my prayer for us as individuals and families is that we would constantly remind ourselves of what God has called us to do. And we would be sensitive. The same spirit that called Jonah to Nineveh is still calling missionaries to go and preach today. And that we would be sensitive to that and that we would see it as serious as it is in the story of Jonah. Second point I'll make from this passage of Scripture is 
in verses 13 through 15 is, is that the efforts of man are no match for sin and its consequences. The efforts of man are no match for sin and its consequences. And what I mean by that is that what we see in verse 13 is true in our own lives. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. These men were giving it all they had, and it wasn't enough. God was determined to get the attention of Jonah and to get him back on track. And these men couldn't fight against that. And for you and I, dealing with sin in our own hearts and in the lives of others around us and the consequences that come with that are not something that we, in our own strength and might, can overcome. We're tempted to try. We're very tempted to try. Matter of fact, in the flesh, oftentimes, we'll look everywhere else than the Lord for ways to overcome sin and its consequences. Now, I, I don't know how much rowing you've ever done, but I was just thinking, we, uh, we participated in, in a little CrossFit, and one of the tests we do is a row test. We row as hard as we can for 20 minutes, and my wife and I have just about vowed we're never taking that test again. I'm telling you what, man, you had never huffed and puffed in all your life. I could only imagine these men desperate to get away from the wrath of God in this storm, exhausting themselves and getting nowhere. But look what happens when they realize that their efforts cannot escape the consequences of Jonah's sin, they call out to the Lord. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. You, you may be there today, my friends. There may be sin in your heart or in someone that's near and dear to you's heart and you feel like, man, you have done everything possible. You've tried every counselor, every medicine, every threat, every promise. You've gone and picked them up with your own hands and your own vehicle. You've thrown them out. You've brought them in to no avail. It happens. This picture and this story plays out in our own homes and lives all the time. They called out to the Lord. So shall we. This morning I have the privilege of baptizing my son Daniel and so grateful for all the people who have prayed for him and uh, it's just been a beautiful testimony as to what happens when you do call out to the Lord to rescue folks from sin that you cannot rescue on your own. And I believe it. I'm not just 
preaching the message that I want you to believe. I believe it. We cannot overcome sin in our own strength and power, but he can. And we need to call out to him. That's the right response. You talk about working out their salvation with fear and trembling. This is, this is the picture of it. This is the textbook illustration of that. They go on to say, lay not on us innocent blood. I mean, they had a tough decision here. They, they had the decision, are we going to throw this man overboard and his blood be on our hands because that's what he asked us to do and he's confessed that he is the cause of all of this and then in verse 15 it says so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea <laughs> I don't know what that Greek word hurled I didn't look it up but it, it doesn't say they gently let him down in in the water right I mean they hurled him into the sea And the sea ceased from its raging. What a beautiful truth. When, and, and the message here is not we need to take every rebellious person that we know, we need to throw them out of our lives. That's not it. But, but the, what the message is is that every drop of sin needs to be dealt with. And when it is, it's a beautiful thing. Sin is deadly. Its consequences are great. Our efforts are no match for it. But the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered every drop of sin. By God's grace, and through faith in him, sin can and will be removed when it is confessed and repented of. And once again, that, you, you may be there. You may say, brother, I, I'm there. You want to talk about a storm? I'm in one. And I can't row out. And sin's got a hold to me. And I don't know what that, that might look like because it can look a lot of different ways. Confess it unto him, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Their efforts to overpower those consequences were futile, but their efforts to deal with the sin was successful. The moment they hurled him from that boat, the sea quit raging. If you've ever been in a raging sea, when it quits, there's no feeling in the world like it, whether physical or spiritual. Third point I'll make is that dealing with sin not only benefits the sinner, but also those who are close by. So it's almost the inverse of the first point I made in that sin not only affects the sinner, but those around him, right? Right? 
But dealing with sin also, the sea quit raging. And Jonah, we'll see in the rest of the story, he turns out okay too. Now, when I say dealing with sin, I'm certainly not saying that we are capable of such a task in our own strength and might. I'll reinforce that. But in verse 15, they did pick up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. And in verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So not only did the storm quit and the seas stop raging and peace was restored to that boat, the people in the boat were more convinced of the God of Jonah than they ever had been before. They feared the Lord exceedingly. Guess what they did? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Isn't that amazing? The response to God's grace is absolute generosity and surrender. That's what these guys did. I mean, immediately, they, they gave sacrificially to the Lord and, and entered into a, a covenant, right? They made vows to him. He had their attention. They turned to the Lord through this series of events. So their efforts couldn't row out of the storm, but it did take their hands on Jonah and hurling him into the sea to bring about peace. So man was not fully removed from this situation. Does that make sense? It took them obeying and tossing him into the sea to bring about peace. And through that, they feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Now, there seems to be a phenomenon in our culture today that is extremely contrary to what these men did with Jonah, and I'll explain. The phenomenon that seems to be the case in our society is that when we discover sin, whether it be in our own life or in the lives of those who are close by to us, very seldom do we deal with it. Now, we got to be real careful. What I don't want to do is preach to you today a message that says you need to go find every sinner in your midst and kick them real hard, right? That's, that's not the case. But sin that is not dealt with creates a storm that gets worse and worse. And for whatever reason, even within the church sometimes, it seems that we're looking for ways to embrace and excuse sin instead of dealing with it.
And what I want us to see in the passage at hand today is that that is a terrible idea. And furthermore, I, I think we've even become experts at discovering sin and not dealing with it. Like we have a knowledge of it, we're aware of it, but we won't touch it. And that's not good for the person in sin or those around them. Now there's a right way to approach sin and there's a wrong way to approach sin. Condemnation is not the right way. But our Lord Jesus Christ has given us a perfect example in how to deal with it. Graciously, patiently. Man, our Bible study with the band this morning talked about humility, patience, long-suffering, being eager to maintain this spirit of unity and the bond of peace. It's work. It's tense, right? It's emotional but it's glorious. God's designed to bring about peace in the midst of the consequences of sin is something glorious. Jesus, he is our Lord. He is our master. That's what he was a master of. That's what he's done in every one of our hearts. We've put our faith in him. But he's also instructed us to hold one another accountable to love one another out of sin and not leave one another in sin. We have this tendency that every effort to deal with sin gets labeled as being like judgmental, right? That's a word we throw around a lot. Well, that'd be a little judgmental, I think. Man, I'm going to tell you what, those sailors were more than judgmental with Jonah, but the end of the story, you're going to see, man, it was, I mean... Beautiful. And so I pray that the, this sermon series through Jonah would encourage our hearts to really open up to that glory of true repentance and accountability and how obedience really does bring blessings. And that we would be a people who are known for how we reconcile with one another and encourage one another to do what is right, to obey the Lord, to turn and repent and be forgiven. I, I, I pray that that's what we would be known for at South Street. And not just known as the people who got a bunch of sin in our midst and we just leave it alone because we love each other too much to deal with it. That's, that's a false belief. Lastly, in verse 17... I'm going to tie it in with Matthew 12. There's really only one way for sin to be removed once and for all. And verse 17 is given to us as a sign of what that is, as a, a picture of a greater Jonah who was to come, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this verse is one that gives a lot of people a lot of heartburn about whether they should believe the Bible or not, or, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Man, people, if you Google, you know, was Jonah really swallowed up by a fish, you, I promise you can get 10,000 different perspectives on whether it, he really was or he really wasn't or 
Miss Shelley and I, wherever she is, we had a conversation, you know. She thinks it might have been a whale shark because, you know, sharks, uh, uh, they don't digest their food for a few days. Their esophagus is big enough. Man, there's articles about whether, you know, certain fish had teeth, certain fish did. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. I I think you really got swallowed up by a fish. If you think it's just allegory, I'm okay with that. That we, we don't have to settle that debate today, and we, we're not. It's, it's not going to happen. But here's what we do know. Is that whether we believe it was allegory, or a whale shark, or a grouper, or whatever kind of fish you want to call it. The reason was the same. What we take away from that story is the same whether it's allegory or true. I think it's true. If you don't, I love you. It's perfectly fine. The takeaway is 100% the same. Now, we'll get to the rest of the story in a few weeks. Jonah stayed there three days, three nights, was regurgitated, and man, he got right. He went and he preached. He made a few more mistakes, but he preached to the people at Nineveh. They repented of their sins and his obedience brought blessings. But I do want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12 and let's see what Jesus says about Jonah 1.17. Because I think what Jesus says about it is very important for us to really digest the, the rest of the verses that we've looked at today and really to obey it. Matthew 12, starting in verse 38, says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So, Pharisees, all the legalists, Jesus, you know, we'll believe in you. Just give us a sign, right? Show us something supernatural. Jesus' answer, verse 39, but he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. There's some more of that gentle dealing with sin. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So what Jesus is saying, hey guys, you already had a sign in the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I told you, it didn't matter what you believe about that fish. What we take away from it is going to be the exact same. That three days and three nights in the belly of a fish was pointing forward to some, someone greater than Jonah. And that someone was Jesus. He was the one and only Son of God. He came, he lived a perfect life, was crucified, buried, three days later, raised from the grave. Over 500 people saw him. Forty days after that, he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father today. And in that, he did what we could not do for ourselves. He did what Jonah could not do for himself. He did what those sailors could not do for themselves. And that is, he lived a perfect, sinless life that was sacrificed on a cross where he bore the entire wrath of God for all mankind who have sinned against him. 
was buried and then raised from the dead to demonstrate his power over sin and death and the grave and the belly of the well and that's our only hope we can't work our way out of sin and we're all in it there's, there's no question whatsoever if any of us have sinned it's clear we all have there's no question as to what the consequences are the Bible is not ambiguous as to what the consequences of sin are both temporal and eternal and every one of us has a testimony of how sin has wrecked some part of our life because we decided to disobey God the good news is that just as Jonah took responsibility for his action and confessed his sin and through spending three days in the belly of the fish and being resurrected from there turned to obedience so can you and I through faith in Christ Jesus He's our only hope. He is our only hope. We've all sinned. We all suffer the consequences of sin. But Jesus also has suffered the consequences for the sins of all who believe in him. And if you're here today and you've not believed upon him and you know you're in sin and the Spirit of God has revealed clearly to you today there's only one way out his name is Jesus I encourage you to repent and trust in him for believers guess what we still sin <laughs> even as followers of Jesus as faithful as we may be we don't always do what he calls us to do and sometimes we do what he tells us not to do and it's the same response Turn to Jesus. Repent. Confess. Trust in him. Be forgiven. Be delivered. See, his death brings about forgiveness, but the resurrection brings about deliverance. So I encourage you to think about that in your own lives. Maybe it's sin in your own heart. Maybe it's sin in someone near and dear to you's heart. Christ is our only hope. And the, the, the fish is a beautiful picture of that that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 so as we close the service today we're going to take well, we're going to have some opportunities to visualize this gospel that you have heard the first way we've had to visualize it is in the belly of a fish right Jesus took the sign of Jonah and painted a picture for the Pharisees. You want a sign? Already gave it to you. Jonah was there three days, and guess what? The Ninevites will testify to you because they repented through how I delivered Jonah from the belly of a fish. And so I want us to see that picture of the gospel in the belly of a fish. But also... We have so many pictures of the gospel, but there's some that we call ordinances here in the church. Another one is the Lord's Supper. 
Today we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. Jeff will come up and lead us through that. And guess what? We're going to see a picture of the death and life, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord's Supper, this is a picture of his blood that satisfied the law of God that required a perfect, spotless, without blemish offering unto him to satisfy the law. And then we have the bread. It's a picture of his body, perfectly sinless, unleavened bread, no influence of sin whatsoever. So I want us to see the gospel as we take the Lord's Supper. And Jeff's going to walk us through that in a minute. And then lastly, the close of our service today, we'll have baptism with Daniel, which is a picture of when a person dies to themselves, their sins are buried in Christ, and they are raised into a new life in him. Death, burial, and resurrection. We see a picture in the belly of the fish. We see a picture in our Lord's Supper we'll take today. We see a picture in baptism. And so it's a great just joy that Christ has given us these visual reminders of what he has done. It's not just what we hear. It's what we see. And so I want to pray, and then Jeff's going to come up, and I'm going to go up, and we'll get ready for baptism. But. Man, what a glorious gospel we have to celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just love you and we praise you. For we are just like Jonah, rebels at heart, running the other direction from what you've called us to do. That's our nature, but you are supernatural. Lord, you draw us through your spirit and you call us to repentance, but also into a relationship with you. And what a beautiful thing that is to know you, to come before you and just give you thanks, to rejoice in your perfect body and blood and resurrecting power. May you be honored, Lord, even as we just practice what you've commanded us to do and to take the Lord's Supper and baptize believers. Lord, I pray as a church that we'd not be okay with sin, that you'd help us lovingly and gloriously lead one another back into obedience whenever we rebel against you. And I just pray even as we go through the rest of this book, Father, that you just show us the beauty of obedience and bless us as a result. We pray it all in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.